Nathan Rach with us today. Where is he? There he is. I thought you maybe left. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, it is great to have you today, brother. Your family's here, so make sure everybody says hello to them all. Shake his hand. And uh, brother, come on up and give us what God's laid on your heart. Thank you very much. Good morning. Psalm 145, Psalm 145, if you have your Bible this morning, I invite you to turn it on. I think it's, uh, it's an exciting day and age that we live in this morning, and uh, thank you for laughing at that joke. I, I, um, if you have a paper copy of it, good for you, you can turn there, Psalm 145, it was a number of years ago that I was challenged by a good friend of mine. Uh, we were talking, and I think I was a junior in, in college. We were talking together, and my, I felt like my, my quiet time, my personal devotional life had, had kind of reached a, a little bit of a stale period, and I needed some fresh rejuvenation. So we were talking about what, what we might be able to do to help encourage each other in that area. And uh, it was suggested that we actually memorize certain psalms and he picked one and I picked three and I, I'm, I'm not trying to sound super spiritual he picked Psalm 119 okay 176 verses and actually he spent probably a year memorizing different portions of it and he did he memorized it and we, we tried to encourage each other through that and I, I trust that God really developed his heart through that um, I, I chose Psalm just really purely I know maybe this isn't the best approach but just purely because they're my favorite psalms uh, Psalm 23, and they're short, <laughs> that kind of helps, Psalm 23, Psalm 103, and Psalm 145, and chose to memorize those, and I think with the right intentions of having God work through my heart on some things that I was dealing with, and preparing for today's message, actually, I, I shared this story a few weeks ago with a, a teen student, and uh, he said, well, can you recite them? They always do that, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, go ahead and recite it for me since you know it. And uh, I said, well, man, I can probably recite parts of it. And today, I think I, I, my, my scripture recall, I've, I've now incorporated a system to try to kind of dredge up the ones that I have memorized. And you might have something like that going on too. But I said, well, I, you know, the psalmist tells you to, to hide his word in your heart. And I could memorize, I can recall per, parts of it probably. Uh, the trouble for me is that I have hid it in my heart and I don't know where I put it. But Psalm 100... 45 is one of those psalms, and, and I, I don't have to wonder today. See, I have, and, and I, I think I mentioned this partly last time that I was here, uh, that I have the, the luxury and the privilege and the challenge today of coming before you and just kind of swooping in and giving one message for us. And, and I, I pray hard about it. It's not something I take lightly, and it's, it's an honor uh, to be here doing this today. Um, and by the way, it's an honor if I can say this and, and say it the right way, and I hope it comes across the right way, it's an honor for you to be here today. Uh, it's a big deal. You know, you, you have so much going for you. As one who, with my family, we've given ourselves uh, to serving Christ in the local church, and, and we get to see a lot of people. I'm just so thankful for a particularly special group that's here. I, you know, looking around, I see faces, and I, I, I love you, and I'm, I'm so thankful for you. I pray for you, and I've prayed for you today. Considering the passage that we're going to get into in just a moment. I, I need this psalm. 
And I'm going to be bold enough to say you need this psalm. Now, how do I know that? Just, well, first of all, by virtue of the fact that it's included in Scripture. And we've had it preserved in our language. Are you, are you thankful to have God's Word written and translated into your English language so you can read it and get to know God better? Amen. Yes, I'm, I'm thankful. And I, and I know you are too. Psalm 145. Let's go ahead and read uh, verses 1 through 3. We're actually going to work through the entire psalm. And I'll get more to that here in just a minute. Don't be intimidated. And I'm going to expect you, if I can, to follow up with a little bit of a homework assignment. I know it's Sunday. Uh, Monday's tomorrow. But I'm going to go ahead and sign some, some late fourth quarter homework for you. To go, go ahead and go home. Spend some time in this psalm particularly. Pray through it as you read it. And allow God to do the work in your heart that I believe He desires to do. You ready? I think I'm ready. Psalm 145, uh, verses 1 through 3 says, this is a declaration of David. He says, I will extol you, my God and my King, and I'll bless your name forever and ever, he says. Every day I'll bless you and I'll praise your great name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. In this life, you're going to encounter many different things. In fact, I was under the impression when I came to Christ, uh, as I was late teens, I guess early adult technically, I came to Christ and I thought, oh man, my life's just going to get better. <laughs> and, and it got harder at first. It, things got more difficult. It seemed like he, in the part of the, the pruning process or the drawing process of drawing me to himself, he was pulling me away from my family and my friends that I had. And uh, some things that I'd gotten really used to, some bad habits that I had. And it seemed like as he was drawing me closer to himself and deeper into a relationship with him, it got more difficult in some ways. Infinitely spiritually, infinitely more joyful than ever before. And I was ushered from being, of course, you know the situation. And by the way, if you're, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, if you're here today and you do not have a relationship with him today, I say that not to point you out and make you uncomfortable. I say that as one who loves you to say that why not today? Why not today say yes to Jesus Christ? You're going to hear a little bit later about the gift of righteousness that is available to you. That's our only hope. You can't earn it. You can't work hard enough. You can't stop doing this. You can't keep doing this and earn any kind of a favor with God. And on the other end of it, folks, you who have named the name of Christ and you belong to Him, you are a child of God. I celebrate that with you because that's the greatest decision you've ever made. So there's nothing that you can do to earn it, but there's also nothing for you who belong in the family of faith. Uh, you got there by grace and there's nothing you can ever do uh, to lose that. Is it a work of Jesus Christ? Salvation, is it a work of His? It is a work of His, His alone. But in this life, in, in all the troubles and hardship that we have, you're going to suffer you know, anxieties of any varying degree. Uh, we, we're afraid to use that word because we know there's a clinical diagnosis and we know all that, but anxieties of any different level. Uh, depression also. Struggles through suffering. We're promised that, in fact. So be encouraged. You're promised suffering. <laughs> there actually is on the, in the heavenly scope of it all. Uh, it's going to be a wonderful thing in the end, and it's all part of a process that God has ordained for each one of us. And I can't think of a better crowd to be in it 
with than you. So this is the ride that we're on. And I, I, this is a psalm that God can use in your life through those struggles to call to, call to mind later, you know, tomorrow, five minutes from now, five years from now. Call it to your mind as the Spirit continues to work in you, making you more conformed to the image of His Son. And it can be a source, I pray, for you if it isn't already, like it is for me, a source of great encouragement and comfort. And I, and I say this sometimes when I, when I speak. I, I love music. And um, it was a, it's a great mercy on you that I kept my microphone off while we were singing. I love music. I make a joyful yet unskillful sound, but I do love music and I love singing. And uh, it was no coincidence, I believe, the song choice and the selection that was made for today. Uh, I didn't tell anybody. In fact, I didn't even tell Stephanie, my wife, what we were going to consider today in in the Word. But uh, God knew, and you will remember the work of God's hands. You sang it this morning, and um, we remember that as we we read this psalm that, that fills us with childlike wonder. It teaches me what I'm supposed to think about despair. The psalm keeps me from freaking out all the time as I meditate on it and others like it. Here's the danger. Here's the danger. I'm, I'm speaking to the home team here. here. Here's the danger for us. Familiarity with the things of God. It comes with its pluses, right? You, you become familiar with the one to whom you're married in a human way. You get familiar to the ones in your family. An obvious link in the words there, familiar and family. You become familiar with your good friends. You come, you, you come into a place like this a couple times a week and you become familiar with what happens here. You have engaged in a relationship with God for those of you who belong to Him and you become, if we're not careful, familiar with Him. And that can be a, a, a danger and it can be a drawback and you say, well, Nathan, how... How can it be? You talk about God a lot. You become perhaps bored in the life with Christ. If Again, if you're not careful, and, and, and I'm implying that we ought to be careful not to become bored in this life uh, that God has, has given us. To become familiar with God where He doesn't really wow you anymore. Paul Tripp, um, he wrote a book and it's called A Dangerous Calling, and, and I, I would recommend it uh, to you. I think it's safe to recommend that book uh, to anybody, uh, particularly to those who are engaged in, in ministry here on earth, A Dangerous Calling. And one of the chapters in that book, he has a, uh, a title for it, and it's called Familiarity. And in this chapter, he describes a meeting that he had with those on his missions team, people who are doing wonderful things around the world, people who love God. And they're doing great things. And God's using them in the way that he has for them. And he met with them one day. And he, he tells in this book about a conversation that he had with one of his key missions leaders. And the, the leader said to, to uh, Dr. Tripp, he said, I don't think anything really excites me anymore in this life. And I think you understand what I'm saying when I say that. But uh, Dr. Tripp in his mind said, you know, I was not at a place to say this in the meeting like that and to call him out in front of everybody else, but I thought, why in the world are you even doing what you're doing if it doesn't thrill you, if it doesn't excite you? Now, I know that we live in a day and age where we struggle to do anything unless it's fun. I mean, my kids, they want to be entertained all the time, right? And I think that's a, 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 a component of my own nature as well. I'm not saying that just because it's not thrilling 
to tell somebody about Christ and the freedom and liberty from sin that's found in him that we shouldn't do it. I'm not saying that just because it doesn't thrill us to stay faithful to our spouse that we shouldn't do it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that there comes a point when we have to realize that a a familiarity with the things of God is quite dangerous to us. And sometimes we need to reorient ourselves and become again to a position of awe and wonder. If you say, Nathan, how, how is it that I should start my day every day? How is it that I should start this or that? How is it that I should uh, teach the kids? Or how is it that I should um, you know, be a deacon? Or how, how is it that I should go about any activity? And I say, start from a position of awe of the God who called you and saved you. And, and I, I don't think there's a better spot to start because it's possible to understand the redemptive, the redemptive drama of the Bible and yet not be in awe of the Redeemer. It is possible. And it is possible to be articulate about the doctrine of atonement and yet never weep before the cross yourself. It is possible to prepare sermons with a cold heart. It is possible to know solid theology, but never to have it translate into a holy life. And I see it from time to time, but it is possible to be committed to missions, but be spiritually empty. It's tragic, it's hard, it's tough. But it is possible. We need to maintain our awe of God. Now I'm going to hurry through this, and I don't want you to be intimidated by this, but we have six things in this chapter to look at. Six points and directly related to this. And uh, we're going to move quickly through it, and I trust that you're ready to speak. Listen quickly, excuse me, as I speak quickly, and we'll we'll be quite the team. This uh, psalm was often repeated even three times by memory uh, by the Jews, the Hebrew children in their homes, oftentimes right before mealtime, recited by memory. It's the goal of the psalmist that this psalm produce a heart of proclamation. Verses 1 and 2, we already read those. David begins with himself. He says, I will. This is intensely personal. We all have the neighbor that we think, oh man, if if she were just more excited about the things of God, it would be great. Or man, if he would really be in awe, I think he could do great things, but start personally. Before we point at anybody else, it is a good place to start by starting with you. He says, my God and my King in verses 1 and 2. Do you see how personal this psalm is? It's similar to Psalm 103, which begins, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget His benefits. Every day we are preaching to ourselves, come on, soul, wake up. Come on, soul, delight in the goodness of God. Preach to yourself. I remember there was a Thai Thai guy that I knew uh, when I was a teenager. His name was Wei Fan, is how he said it. Wei Fan. And I asked him one time, he he, he actually was ordained, he was a minister, and I asked him one time, what does your name mean, Wei Fan? Because I found out that in the the Thai culture there in, in what used to be Burma, I, he says that there, every name means something. Weifan means I will bless the Lord. So I, 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 or I will bless his name, I think is how it's translated. So I used to call him Reverend Bless His Name. And I used to call him that because how, cool how cool is it to have a name that literally tells you what you are going to do? I will bless his name. That's kind of neat. And then there are actually other names. Uh, there's a name, uh, Kofi. 
A guy, a friend of mine from, from Ghana, I, asked him, I like to figure out what names mean. Some people don't know what it means. His name means I was born on Thursday. <laughs> not quite as cool, certainly not as, as spiritual, but reverend bless his name. I read this, this chapter, and that is to be my job, to bless God's name. That's what every day is about, right? Not that I'll call you reverend bless his name, but let's bless his name. Each, each and every day. If you, have to, if you want to try Christianity half-heartedly, you're going to be miserable. It doesn't work that way. God, who does nothing half-heartedly, has called us into a life of exciting service to Him. The Bible is not just a book that you should go through. It's a book that should go through you. Uh, point number two, be in awe of the God who saved you as you commend his greatness, verses 3 through 7. Take a look, verses 3 through 7. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall, shall commend your works to another. That's discipleship. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. There are a few words in the English language, and I, 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 my wife, she kind of makes fun of me for this, but I, I kind of catch on to verbal trends. People use words sometimes a lot, like now it's literally, and people mean, they don't mean literally when they say it. You know, I think you know what I mean. I think you literally know what I mean. And actually, one of those words is, is amazing or great. We overuse them a little bit, okay? Uh, this hot dog is amazing, right? Or I was in the presence of greatness. Sometimes we use that word for something like that. I think I remember an election where something about great, making things great. I don't know. But that word might be a little bit overused sometimes, and I'm not saying don't use it for other things. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that sometimes when we read in Scripture that God is great, that means something, and it doesn't just mean like cookies and cream ice cream or uh, something that is otherwise great, quote unquote. But God in this passage is great. There is none like him. In fact, in the, the word that's used there, there is none quite like that. What a missions connection we see in verse 4. One generation shall commend your works to another. I said that's discipleship. And shall declare your mighty acts. The context, when, when, somebody, when somebody remembers, and you, you remember the mightiest of acts, what is the single greatest event for bringing you into a relationship with Christ? If you look back on history, what, what event do you remember when you think of deliverance and rescue and salvation? You think of the cross, right? You think of the cross. Well, in the Old Testament, they didn't have the cross to look back on yet, so they remembered the exodus. And no doubt they were thinking of the Exodus, the greatest picture in their mind of remembrance and um, rescue. He essentially, he's saying that what we, what we commend is what we cherish. Do you find that to be true? What you commend or what you make a big deal about is something that you really enjoy yourself. You really cherish it. And that's what he's saying here. What you have found to be good, what you have found to be sweet and what you find to cherish, that's the thing that you commend. And I know this because of Netflix, right? You, you catch a good series and, and all of a sudden you're talking about 
tidying up with Marie Kondo and, and all these series that somebody else just has to watch because you watched it and you knew, my goodness, what a, what a good series. I like to cook. And I'm, I didn't come in here thinking that I should brag, but I'm going to. I, I make the best fajitas in central Michigan, I believe. If you come over to my house, I'm, we're going to cook fajitas and you're going you're gonna to be a big fan, I think. Uh, you don't even have to like Mexican food. But I know there's a process of it. You, you have to chop things. I even enjoy that part, the, the onions, the peppers, chopping the steak, and the cooking process. A lot of people overlook this, but you put a little bit of lime in there, and it's just good, and it's wonderful. And I make a mean fajita. I think I've made that point. But yeah, I want everybody to try it. I want everybody to try it because it, it's tasty and it's good. And it's not really a common food that we all have every day. But what we cherish, we commend to others. David's single greatest prayer in this book, or in this chapter rather, is for the next generation. How do we like to raise kids? You know, he's, not, he's not praying that we would raise good citizens that don't annoy their parents and don't embarrass us. He's praying that, he would, that we would raise in the next generation people who are proclaiming God's greatness. Just yesterday, I was at a church and we were doing a children's event, an evangelistic event. We saw some people come to Christ, and it was so exciting. And, and there was a lady there who's a widow, a young widow. She's only in her 40s. And uh, she came up to me, and she said, you know, my husband and I, when he was still here, we gave our life to mission work. It just happens to be what God called us to do. And we gave our life to him. Now, when my husband passed, I had to kind of figure out what exactly that was going to look like. Well, she has now dedicated her life to going as a single missionary to a Muslim, a strictly Muslim country, and ministering and serving in a not safe way to Muslim women. And she was telling me how excited she is about this. And I'm trying to have a decent conversation with all these children running around. And, you know, it gets a little hectic, right? Well, this little boy, this young man, was grabbing a hold of my arm. He's eight years old, I found out. And he's just, you know how kids can do. They really want to get your attention. So he's hanging on my arm, trying to get me and trying to talk to me and trying to talk. He's being as patient as he can. But, you know, I'm sitting there having a serious conversation. He's not really engaged in it. So finally, I, I told the lady, can you excuse me, for, excuse me for just one second? So I talked to him. I said, hey, buddy, what's going on? He says, and this is very important. He says, I can do the moonwalk. <laughs> and I said, okay, well, show me your moonwalk. And it was really good. And I actually thought, I thought during that, that time, I thought, you know, that's kind of discipleship. How can I take the moonwalker and make a gospel proclaimer out of him by teaching and by doing and showing and pulling alongside? How can we raise the next generation to be those who proclaim Christ and are those who change the world and shake the nations for his name. What are we doing now to do that? Now, thirdly, be in awe of God's grace and long for the nations to hear it. We've already addressed some of that. It's one of the most common, repeated, commonly repeated phrases in all of Scripture is in all of the New Testament particularly is verse 8. The Lord is gracious and he's merciful slow to anger, and he's abounding in steadfast love. Steadfast love, that's a whole sermon just on its own, on that one term. It's beautiful. A steadfast love of God. What if God were only great and he were not good? You ever think about that? I think of a movie, um, The Chronicles of Narnia, and I remember, you know who Aslan is? The lion. 
There's a quote from that movie that says that Aslan is not a tame lion. Don't trifle with him. But he's good. God is not only great and greatly to be praised, but he's also intensely good to us. He is good. He tells people who he is. He's merciful and he's compassionate. The cross is the ultimate display of that compassion. Remember the prophet Jonah. He was reluctant. We call him the reluctant prophet. He didn't want to do exactly what God said. You know, he went to the mission conference, right? Just like we do. He didn't, but you know, he's the one. He would have been the one going to a missions conference. And he told God, yeah, I'll do what you want me to do, but there are conditions on it. Right? It wasn't a completely blank check. God, I'll do what you want me to do. We hear this sometimes. But don't send me to Africa. <laughs> God, I'll do what you want me to do, but please don't send me to India. It's like the, the northerner saying, please don't send me to the south. Okay, I'm neither, so I can say this here, and I think safety. But like the northerner, to, to go to the south, it's sometimes an uncomfortable thing, and some people don't want to go down there. Some southerners don't want to go up north. Okay, down south, they think Dale Earnhardt is a member of the Trinity, and they like fireworks all every day, and uh, there are different things that we think that, God, your grace isn't deserved in some spot like it is quite like this spot. That's not true. God's grace is needed. Never deserved, but it's needed everywhere. Richard Sibbs says a, a quote that I, I just can't get off my mind. He says, there is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. God is merciful. It is God's grace, Blaise Pascal says, that turns men into saints. And if you, don't, and if you do doubt that, you don't understand either saints or men. God can do wonderful things in any part of creation. And number four, be in awe of the glory of God's kingdom. A transition is made here in verse 10. All your works shall give thanks to you, he says. This corresponds to verse 9. All your works, meaning everything revealed in creation. And we can get into a discussion here on special and general revelation, but we won't. Basically, by looking at creation, there's a testimony of God. Okay? I believe that there's enough in creation to understand that there is a God out there. There's a designer. And maybe even some would say that we are not on good terms with Him. But you can't go from a pine cone to propitiation. Or you can't go from a sunset to sanctification without the Word of God. There is a component that we need to be taking into all the world. And that is what God has said in the Word and to be in awe of the things that he has said about himself. We will speak of your glory. Do you ever look at the people who God chose, Jesus chose to be his disciples? If you were planning on, to, on doing a, an earth-changing work, if you were starting something that you hoped would change the earth and change the world for your glory, of course, Jesus thinks differently than we do, and it's a good thing that he does. But you wouldn't have chosen the disciples, I don't think. You wouldn't have chosen the men that were chosen. It wasn't like he went to the Harvard or the Yale of, the, of our culture. He, he went to, it would, have, it would have been like going to the Lyric Mall here in, in Lapeer. Or it would have been like going to the soybean fields outside of town and picking people and saying, come follow me. 
Great things I'm going to show you. We wouldn't have done it that way. But God displays his handiwork and his grace that has turned these people into what we would call saints, which is really just a, a believer. You've heard the term, there are saints and then there are ain'ts. Sometimes we think that, well, no, saints, those are the disciples. They're like the elevated ones. No, they're normal people just like you and just like me, which is comforting to me. Fifthly, be in awe of God's satisfying goodness. Look at verse 14. The Lord upholds all who are falling, failing and rises, raises up all who are bowed down. Perhaps that's you this morning. You're failing and you need to be lifted up. Psalm 147 verse 3 says that he, he heals the brokenhearted. Just a couple pages over. He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. Verse 4, he says that he determines, he's the one who determines the number of the stars and yet he gives all of them names. The same God who numbers and names the stars is the one who cares for you. He loves to restore the broken. Right now, if you're broken, maybe you come in here and you seem like, you know, you feel like you've got to make sure everything's fine. Call out to God right now for help. And call out to one another as well. There is help. There is a family here. And we can help each other. Psalm 145 is an introduction to a series of psalms up through 150 or just hallelujah psalms. And I think this is the perfect introduction to those psalms. Jesus does. Look at verse 16. Jesus satisfies. He satisfies on a physical level, but then ultimately our soul. He does satisfy. It's not like the, you know, when you're on a long flight, those of you who fly on a plane, you're on a long flight and, and sometimes they'll give you a, a bag of pretzels. I don't know what we're going to do with those. You know I mean? They give you a bag of pretzels. It's like 10 of them. And I think, well, maybe we ought to ration them out and eat one every 20 minutes. <laughs> and maybe we'll survive this flight. And I'm not talking about that kind of non-satisfaction. I'm talking about he is the very thing that we need. When we are satisfied in him, by the way, that's not a permanent position while we're living here on earth. When we find our satisfaction in him, I think there are some victories to celebrate because that's a difficult place to arrive at. It's my prayer for you that you will be satisfied completely in the one who saved you. The result of loving him is that we, again, will commend what we cherish. When I love him, this Psalm, Psalm 145, Psalm 145 says that when I love him, the natural response is that my mouth will declare of his wonders. We just read it. Let all flesh bless your holy name forever and ever. That's awe-driven missions. I don't mean that's for the missionaries, the official titles. I mean that's for every one of us making much of Jesus in your context, sharing the love of Christ and, and sharing the gospel specifically. Let's be thankful for his nearness to us. Can you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for cho choosing choosing. Uh, that this chapter, this dear chapter, uh, would be included in Scripture. It's an exciting one. Um, 
because of it we are instructed in how to deal with the certain struggles in life that we otherwise, uh, I, don't, I think we would be diff- we'd have a hard time dealing with some things. I pray, Lord, that we would all right now take a look at what you've done, that we would, yes, be encouraged, and that we would, yes, find rest in what you have provided. Uh, but, Lord, also I pray that we would use that as a challenge to make much of you. It seems like the logical progression here in this chapter that we would, we would observe what you have done for us, we would delight in it, and then we would make much of it to our neighbor, and to the guy down the street, to our family, to our mom, uh, to the children. And Lord, I pray for the, the, even the children's ministry workers, uh, the custodians, those who clean the church, the, the one who locks the doors and shuts the lights off, the youth pastor, uh, the musician, the prayer warrior, those who don't know quite where they fit in, Lord, that we would start this day from a position of awe in you. Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. I pray that that goodness would have a very practical result in our life in a way that would show your love to Lapeer County, Michigan, the United States, and the world beyond. We pray these things in the only name in whom we can pray, the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. It's a great message.